But we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 22. Peter writes this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life to see and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and, and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that, you, that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to Him. Amen, and thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to ponder Your Word through the letter of Peter, we ask that Your Spirit would be among us, reaffirming who we are in Jesus and calling us to that which You have for us to do at this time. Amen. There's a scary word right now for churches. And the word is mission. I guarantee before we get to the end of this year, you'll be thinking, oh no, not again. Because we're about to go through in the next few months the Presbytery Mission Plan, aren't we? And if you don't know about that, there was a briefing paper about it. But we're looking at the shape of the church across Scotland, where the ministers are going to be, where the, what buildings we need, how we're going to shape ourselves for mission. But I don't want to talk about that this morning. You'll be relieved um, to know. I, I want to talk about an aspect of mission that actually terrifies us even more. And that's the thought 
that we're supposed to do it. Not the presbytery, not the Kirk Session, not the Church of Scotland, not some mission committee, not an evangelist, not the minister, but all of us. We are engaged in this work that God has given us of mission, of sharing our faith with the world around us. Now, the problem most of us have when we hear that is two things. We're not very sure how to do it. In fact, we've not got a clue. And the second thing is we're not even very sure that we want to do it because it sounds a bit uncomfortable and really, can we not just sing some nice songs that we like and have a good service and go home and we'll be fine? In fact, when the minister starts preaching, I wonder that there's some folk with a groan in their heart saying, can you not talk about something simple like, I don't know, Zechariah and uh, sex and, and, and politics and money and really easy topics rather than mission. But here we are. It's basic to what we are as Christians. Peter, writing this letter, is perhaps reflecting on where it all started. Jesus saying to Peter two words, follow me. Come with me, he was saying to Peter, and I'm going to show you what it is to love. I'm going to let you hear my teaching. I'm going to let you see how I preach, how I care, how I change the world around me. Come with me, Peter. Follow me. And don't just see these things, but as you do them, allow me to shape you that you might be different that you might be engaged in this mission. And he gave Peter a reason for it in that very verse. I will make you to fish for people. Or in the old version, I will make you fishers of men, which I always heard the child who, who, who read that as, I will make you vicious old men. Sometimes churches can do that to you as well. But actually, fishers of men. And Peter, in a sense, echoes that in this passage that we read. It's quite a difficult passage, but just one verse where he says this. Set your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's within you. Now, let me ask a simple question. How many of you find that scary? How many folk find that scary, the idea of giving people a reason for the hope that's within you? I'm surprised it's not everybody. The rest of you are obviously very bold. But yeah, it is really, really frightening. And there's a temptation as we read these things in, in, in the Gospels to think, well, you know, Peter, that's fine for you. You're Jesus' right-hand man. You're the rock. You're the guy that was with him for three years. You'd know what to say. You're the apostle. I'm just me. And I fail and I say the wrong things and I get it wrong and I forget about Jesus. And so you say that, but maybe the minister's listening, but what about me? But again, it's worth as we read the, the letters always to have the gospel stories in view. Because this letter is the voice of Peter. And let's just take ourselves to one of the scenes of Peter's lives. It was in a courtyard. And the soldiers had come and they'd taken Jesus. And it was scary. But Peter kept that word when he said he's going to follow Jesus and he kept following Jesus. He'd promised that he'd never let him down, that he would never leave him, that he would die with him. And so he was following from a distance and he stood in that courtyard. 
And it was in that courtyard that somebody asked him a question. And it wasn't Pilate or the soldiers. It was just a, a girl. And she asked him the most scary question in the world. She said, aren't you a friend of Jesus? And you know the story, don't you? He completely fluffed it. And I think that's one of the things that I, I find really encouraging, that as we're reading this instruction from Peter, we're not just reading some big guy at the top who's really good at mission telling us what to do it. We are reading a guy who fluffed it more than once. And so there's hope for us too. You see, the strategy that's indicated in this is not that God would train up a whole lot of Billy Grahams and send them out to do mission. It's that ordinary people would live their lives following Jesus. And as they did that, people would start to ask questions. Why? Follow Jesus, says Jesus, live for me. Be the salt, make the difference. Live it out, and I will start to change you so that you become fishers of men. Here's the mission strategy in three letters. And you'll remember this bit. Huh. This is God's plan. That Christians would go out and they would live their lives in such a way following Jesus that people around would go, what's up? Huh, why are they doing that? And then they would start to ask questions. It wasn't that we put something on the back of a bus or, 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 or we put a whole lot of posters out or, or, or we put tracts into people's hands or we did a whole lot of things. It was actually that we would live our gospel lives out in the places that we are in such a way that folk would start to want to know what it was that made a difference. Now, let me give you one example. And actually, this example isn't mine, it's Peter's, right from the beginning of the passage that we started with. He said this, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, that's an image of the church loving one another in such a way that people look at how the church love one another and they say, huh? Unfortunately, that's not always what people see when they see the church. But, you know, that's the, that's the vision. But here's the second bit of this, this vision here. Verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Now, trading evil with evil. Does anyone use social media? Facebook, Twitter, anything like that? How many folk do that? As you follow the discussions that are on that, is it full of people repaying nasty words with lovely words? Is it? No, it's full of people giving abuse back where they got abuse, isn't it? And saying rotten things about people that they don't agree with. Or, or maybe if you're not on social media, how many of you watch, I don't know, politics on television? Is there anything else on television these days? Is it full of people saying nice things to each other and about one another? 
No, it's about people who try to find ways of even their colleagues in a cabinet of leaking something nasty about them, isn't it? It's a whole world full of, the, well, they did it and they started it and they said rotten things, so we'll say rotten things. And it's a race to the bottom, isn't it? We are living in a society which, just like the one Peter was in, is always about repaying evil for evil. And then if folks say, oh, you didn't, that was a nasty thing to say. Ah, but you don't know whether they start to say it. And what's called whataboutery, which is when you, somebody criticizes you, you say, ah, but they did. Right? And it's a whole race to the bottom of what they do. What would it be if Christians didn't do that? If when somebody was being critical of us, we thought, what is the nicest thing I can say about them? When somebody seems to us to be someone we don't like, rather than painting them in the worst possible view to start to say, well, what I do appreciate about them is this. Do you think that if we were to live like that, folk around us would go, huh? Huh? So there's a challenge that Peter's giving as a really practical example of how Christians could live differently. And the model for that, of course, is that Jesus, think back to that night that Peter was in the courtyard, all these people abusing Jesus, crucifying Jesus, telling lies about Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He loves them. Father, forgive them. And that's the example for us. In a world of angry blame and finger-pointing, that we can live differently. And by the way, in the days that come, there's going to be all sorts of things that are going to be very hard, cost of living crisis, gas prices, all sorts of things. And so much of our society is going to respond with anger. Now, there are some things to get angry about. I'm, I'm not disputing that. But there's a challenge for us to be a people in the middle of that, of grace and of hope and of love and of community. What would it be if we started living like that, forgiving our enemies as Jesus forgave his? That would be weird. And actually, if you read the rest of the letter of Peter in that vein, you will find that he deals with other things. He deals in this letter with how people are going to live differently in their marriages, how people are going to live differently as Christians in their sexual relationships. How people are going to live differently with their attitude to the authorities. How people are going to live differently in terms of employment. And it's not easy. But in all of those situations, Peter is trying to work out with folk, how is it that you live in the places that you are thinking about Jesus? Thinking about how he loved. Thinking about how to live in a way that leaves the world doing ha. Now, if you think it's hard for us, remember that when he talks about marriages, some folk in the congregation were in very difficult marriages. Many of them were women whose husbands didn't believe in a day and age which expected that the husband would determine the religion of the family. And so they were having a hard time. Some of them had very harsh husbands, and it was hard for them. Some of them were, the other thing that, that, that Peter will deal with in this letter is how to be a good citizen. Now, we might think, how am I a good citizen when, when the, we've got to look up to authorities like Boris Johnson and this politician I don't like and all the rest of it? Remember, in Peter's day, when he was saying live as a good citizen, at the head of the tree was the emperor Nero and Pilate and all these folk. So it was hard then too. 
but having to work out how do I live for Christ in those situations? Or employment, maybe as we see about how we live if we're an employee or an employer in our workplace as a Christian, we say, that's really hard. You don't understand the ethos of my workplace. Well, in the early church, some of the folk Peter were talk- was talking to that were Christians were slaves. They had the most difficult workplace imaginable. And yet Peter will work through with them, how do you live for Christ in that situation that leaves folk going, huh? Your eyes on Jesus and on His resurrection, changing your priorities, changing the way you live till the world goes, huh? Why do you do that? Why do you respond like that? Why do you love like that? Why do you have such patience with these people? Why are that your priorities? Why are you talking to those folk? Why are you being so kind? Why are you spending your money in that way? Why are you taking your kids to church when you could have them study or play football or do all sorts of other things? Why are you taking time to invest in the, in the things that we're doing together as a church? Why is it that those are your priorities? The world again and again and again invited to say, huh, that's the gospel mission. And it comes from an understanding that Jesus gave up everything for me. He died and rose again and gave me a hope, an assured hope of eternal life. And because of that, my eyes are fixed on that. My reverence for Christ as Lord is so much for that. That's the center of my existence. And as much as my words might be difficult, when people say, ha, why do you do that? In some poor way I can say, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I maybe can't explain it. I can't win all the arguments. But I can say, because of Jesus. Now this passage ends with a very weird bit about Jesus um, dying and rising again and, and talking to folk and releasing folk, and, and, and almost as if he was going back to the days of Noah, and it, it gets really, really confusing. And I'd love to sit here and tell you that I can understand the end of this passage and explain it all to you, but I can't. There's 19 different ideas, and I, I can't work it all out. But I'll leave you with a simple thought. Peter, in his other letter, says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And that's left a lot of people confusing because if I say Noah to you, you don't think, well, that's the guy that preached lots of sermons, do you? If I say Noah to you, what do you think? He built an ark. And if we think about Noah, we don't think about a preacher. We think about a carpenter. We think about a, a quantity surveyor or, or maybe a zoologist. Yeah? But here's the thing about Noah. Noah was given a message of salvation. The world is under judgment, but God loves it so much that he wants to deliver from it. And that's his plan. But Noah wasn't told to go out and preach that or to teach that. He was told to live it. And so for the next number of years, he, in plain view, in the sight of everybody, started building this enormous big boat. And what do you think folk around said when they saw that? Huh? That's mad. That's crazy. That makes no sense. We're in the middle of the desert and you're building a big boat. This is insane. Why is that? And I think that is the model for us with our salvation. Yeah, God is in the business of saving us and in the business of the salvation that's being offered in Jesus Christ to all. But our call is to live it in such a way that people begin to ask questions.
like in the day of Noah. And then, because it's not just about how we live, even in stumbling to have words that begin to say to folk, it's because of Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. I want to leave you with two questions about mission. And they're not about how you have a clever answer or how we have a mission strategy. They're simply this. As you think about this week ahead, the places you will go, the conversations you will have, the random things that might happen, the things that you might type in an email or a social media post, how are you going to live in a Jesus way? Who is God calling you right now to respond to in, a, in an unexpected way? It might be that there's somebody right now in your community or in your life that you could respond to with a random act of kindness, just showing them something of God's love. Who is it that God might be calling you to respond to in a way that they don't seem to deserve? Because God has dealt with you in a way that you don't deserve. Who is it, as you think about Jesus and how he met people that were on the margins and spent time with people who nobody wanted to know, who might it be this week that you'll randomly bump into and you're left thinking, what would Jesus do? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel for the good news that Jesus suffered everything and overcame it and rose again. And in him we have this hope, this assurance of the forgiveness of our sins despite all that we've done and the promise of everlasting life in him. We thank you for the mission that you have, your mission, to change this world around us and that you've given us a purpose in it. Oh Lord, save us from the fear of the big things and the future of churches. But Lord, give us courage in the things that you've called us to do that you've already given us the strength to do. We give before you just now that difficult relationship, that awkward person, and we hear your call to respond to them in generous love. We give you before our conversations that you might season them, that we might be people who bring blessings and not curses. We give you the people that we find difficult to forgive. Help us be Jesus to them. Oh Lord, we do give you presbytery plans and all the things that worry us about the shape of the church. But Lord, through it all, we ask simply that you would enable us to focus on Jesus Christ. And in this world where right now in our society, people are afraid of the future. People are worried about putting the heating on through the winter. We ask that you would help us together as a church, but also in each encounter, to live in ways that make a difference, that are the salt of the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our
service as we sing together the wonderful words of how lovely are the mountains of the feet of him. These are words that come from Isaiah, and they're really rejoicing that in, in a time of trouble, somebody comes and simply brings good news, the good news of what God is doing. And that is our message. That is our purpose as we live our lives, to bring good news when people are despairing or rejected or hurt. Let's sing this together. Now, as you go from this place, go in peace. Know the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. Know His forgiveness. Know His assurance. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever. Mm -hmm.